Hello, hello. Hey! I'm gonna get out of this robe as quickly as possible, because it is hot. I pulled this robe out of a church prop bin, and it's a little smelly. Apparently, they weren't washing it. It's got a little musty smell to it. It's, it's a king size, so I'm swimming in it, and uh, I want out of this thing. In our text today, the Apostle Paul says that we are to put off the old self and put on the new self. This is a fundamental understanding of the Christian life, that God wants there to be a B.C. and an A.D., a before Christ Mike and after Christ Mike. And there is a whole way of thinking, a whole way of behaving, a whole set of values and priorities and ambitions that belong to the old way, to the non-Christian way. And there's a whole set of behaviors and values and ambitions and thinking that belongs to the life with God. And so I want you to never forget this principle of putting off and putting on. And so here we go. We are going to be putting off today the old self. We're going to just discard it. The ladders are nothing except uh, hangers, giant clothes hangers. And we are going to, if I can get over here without squealing, we're going to put on the new self represented by this very comfortable Hotel Alieska robe, and you're thinking, you stole that. That's part of the old self. But actually, that's not true. Every time I went to Alieska, I would comment to Sabrina, wow, this is so comfortable. I might actually wear this. She wants me in a robe at home, and so she bought this for me for Christmas. And I have. I have actually been... Uh, Wearing this robe a little bit. How do I stop that? Step back. Oh, there we go. That's better. And uh, so, the, this, this white robe, this represents the new self that we are to put on. And it, when we put on the new self, it is a, a marked change so that we know that there is a difference and those around us should notice the difference and ask us, hey, give me the reason for the hope that is within you. And unfortunately, what Paul reminds us today is that uh, Christians can be still wearing the old self. And that's a tragedy because they're missing out on the life that God has for us. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We've been studying Ephesians all We've been studying Ephesians all summer. Today we're looking at verses 17 to 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. First off, Paul is asserting his a spiritual authority. He is not just a human giving human advice. He is a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ, and so he is uh, speaking on behalf of God. These instructions are God's will for us. 
Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. No longer assumes that uh, there was a way that we conducted our lives, a lifestyle before we met Jesus, uh, from which we need to make a, a marked and serious break. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Uh, that's shorthand for non-Christian. And so you must no longer walk as the non-Christians do. Now, for many who come to Christ later in life, uh, it's really a, I used to live this way. I've made a huge change. Uh, for those of us who grow up in the church, like I came to Christ at a young age, grew up in a Christian family, surrounded for, from the time, from the cradle, <laughs> with uh, the people of God and the teaching of God. Uh, so it's, for me, it's, it's less about how was I when I was four years old, and it's, it's more about uh, a notice, the difference between the way I live and think and, uh, and what drives me and what drives people in the world. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. So if you have um, a worship program in there, you'll find some affirmation statements. I've got a number of them today coming out of the text, and I want you to read with me these affirmation statements. And so right now we're going to just do the first one. And the first statement is this, God calls me to make a hard break from the way of the world. Jesus did not come that we might only get our ticket to heaven. Praise God, we, we get our ticket to heaven. But he's come that he might give us life to the full now. He, he has come that we might uh, live a very different life, a life that is in fellowship with God and full of God. And of course, our series title is A People Full of God, that we want to be uh, a people full of God. And for that to happen, we've got to put off the old self and put on the new self. Uh, so your vision for your Christian life has got to include this fundamental concept of I've got to put off the, the old way. I've got to put off uh, the way of the unbeliever. And I've got to put on the way of, of the Christian and the way of Christ. By the way, I, would, I think we can also read in here, <clears throat> you must no longer walk as the Americans do. Right? We live in a post-Christian nation. Not everything in society is out of step with the will of God, but a whole lot is. And, the, and in the public square, the fundamental uh, ideas that drive our culture are pagan. They are not Christian. And so we can't take our cues from our neighbors and from the society in which we live. If we do, we'll pursue the wrong things. We'll behave the wrong way. We'll think incorrectly. Okay, so if, say it with me by faith, this first affirmation. Let's go out loud. Number one, God calls me to make a hard break from the way of the world. Is there a hard break in your life? You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Now, here's the real problem the problem is how people think. We, we behave the way we think. And so we can't behave rightly if we're not thinking rightly. 
And so for the unbeliever, they start with the assumption that there is no God. And then they reason their way, they reason their way, a little better, okay. Uh, They start with the assumption that there is no God, and then they reason themselves from there. We're all very rational people. Uh, and But when you start with the assumption that there is no God that I need to listen to and no God that I need to please and no God to whom I will be accountable someday, you're going to reason yourself to, a, to some conclusions that are incorrect. The Bible describes it this way, futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding because of the ignorance that is in them. Now, if you're an unbeliever, what you're going to see here in this text are some pretty unflattering statements about your spiritual state. <laughs> and uh, it, it can be a little difficult to hear, but it is God's verdict on you. He's saying that you have cut yourself off from the life of God. You've cut yourself off from the enlightenment of God. And your spiritual state is actually uh, very dire. And God wants to use the preaching of his word to open your eyes so that you can make a change, so that you can put off the old self and put on the new self. And every Christian who reads this text from the very first Ephesians to today recognizes that he's describing the way we were before Jesus. So there's really no condemnation here. It's an invitation and a celebration of the fact that we can change We can have a life with God and move from being alienated from God to being friends of God. But here's the second affirmation statement. I cannot behave rightly unless I think rightly. So I'm going to regularly bathe my mind in biblical truth. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 tells us, don't be conformed to the thinking of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And how do we renew our minds? By bathing our minds in truth. It is only the word of God and it is only the church of God that proclaims to you the will of God and and the wisdom of God. And so if you are not regularly bathing your mind in biblical truth, you will be conformed to the pattern of this world. And you will, as a result, be cut off from the life that God wants for you. So it's a great thing that you're at church hearing the preaching of the word of God. But you can also read, and this is the word of God, read it every day. Think about it. Meditate on it. It's part of being created in the image of God that you can understand language. And God has communicated himself and his will for us in in the word. So let's not be lazy Christians. Let's be Christians who are uh, constantly bathing our minds in the Word of God so that we can be renewed and not conform to the thinking of the world. So I'm going to regularly bathe my mind in biblical truth and take every thought captive to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's another scripture. Take every thought captive unto the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And one thing I love about that is it points out that not all of our thoughts are healthy, correct thoughts. In fact, uh, we have to figure living in a secular world, in a, uh, a, a largely godless world, we're going to be bombarded with all kinds of thoughts. 
and uh, they seep into us. They'll come into our minds, even un, you know, without us asking. But we have to take every thought captive to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. In other words, we're asking, does this thought line up with the will of God as revealed in the Bible? And if not, we reject it. We take it captive. We now have control over, over it, and we reject it. And I, I will... I think that goes, uh, should affect, ultimately affect our emotional state, right? How we think, how we feel are very connected. All right, so let's say this out uh, together. Ready? I cannot behave rightly until I think rightly. Nobody's saying this with me. Out loud together, ready? I cannot behave rightly unless, until I think rightly. So I will regularly bathe my mind in biblical truth and take every thought captive to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We don't want futile minds, or that word actually means empty, empty. Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous, and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. Two things on these verses. Number one, note the progression. A hard heart leads to a darkened mind, which leads to a callousness towards sin, which leads to alienation from the life of God. A hard heart. Paul talks about this in Romans. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. And their thinking became darkened because they cut themselves off from the knowledge of God, the wisdom of God, the truth of God. They began to reason about their lives apart from God, and it darkened their minds. Right? <clears throat> what, what is uh, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. What is the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You cut God out of your life, you will think uh, incorrectly. And so you have a darkened mind, and a darkened mind then starts to say reason, starts to reason that sin is good for me. And uh, sitting on the throne of my life and calling my own shots and deciding for myself what is right and wrong and what is worth my time and effort apart from, the, uh, from God, uh, well, that you start to think sin is good for me. You begin to engage in sin, uh, and that's a slippery slope. You, you get deeper into it, and, uh, and what the Bible says is you become callous, right? They have become callous. Elsewhere in Scripture, we talk about the, it says the searing of the conscience. Your conscience can become seared. What happened? What's, what's with a seared hand or a callous hand? It's less sensitive, right? So it engages in sin, uh, and it's not as sensitive to the sin, and it's not as sensitive to uh, the will of God. A hard heart causes, creates a darkened mind, which leads to a callous engagement with sin. And what's the ultimate result? Alienation from the life of God. Which means people are no longer living the life that God created them to live. They're not experiencing life to the full. Even if they believe that they're happy, uh, they are having, uh, experiencing a lesser life, a subpar life, not life as God 
intended it to be. Now, knowing this, I think we need to say, how do I not have a hard heart? Uh, I want to keep a soft heart because if I get a hard heart toward God, then look what, where it leads me. And so how do we keep, make sure that we have a soft heart? And here it is. Practice regular confession. Practice regular confession. It'll keep your heart soft. So on a regular basis, daily, weekly, you de- decide for yourself what regular is. But on a regular basis, you pause and you take stock of your life, and you invite the Holy Spirit to reveal unconfessed sin in your life, and you, and you be quiet, and you listen, and if the Spirit reveals a sin, you confess that, and you name it. You get very specific. God, I did this. I said this. I chose to look at this. That is sin. I confess that to you. I don't want that to be a part of my life. Forgive me for it in Christ and help me to not do that anymore. Confession will resensitize you to sin. As a Christian, if you sin and fail to confess it, you'll repeat it and you will become callous to it. You'll get entangled into it and it will alienate you from the life of God. Doesn't mean you become, don't be you're no longer a Christian, but you, you're not enjoying the, the fellowship with God that you can, right? God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, we're walking in darkness. We lie. So let's, let's say the third uh, affirmation here together out loud. I will avoid a callous heart by practicing regular confession. Please do that. Please do that. There have been times in my life when I got out of that habit and it's not good. It doesn't produce uh, good things in your soul. The second thing I want to note about these two verses are the three sins that Paul highlights, underscores, surfaces, these big categories. And the, the Ephesian Christians were especially caught up in these sins, uh, susceptible, because their society, uh, their society applauded this kind of stuff, promoted it, and uh, they didn't have, you know, that kind of uh, checks on it. And might I suggest to you that, uh, that America is quite similar to Ephesus, Modern America is quite similar to Ephesus, and I think that we are especially susceptible to these same three sins. And so let's sit on them a little bit. Uh, They are sensuality, greed, and impurity. Number one, sensuality. What is sensuality? Sensuality is prioritizing my own pleasure, safety, convenience, comfort above the will of God. Right? The desire to for pleasure, safety, comfort, convenience. That's not wrong. It's, it's only wrong when the pursuit of it means I miss out on something that God wanted me to do or I do something God specifically said I shouldn't do. And I'll tell you, for me, <laughs> this is an ongoing battle in my life. Stepping back from what God is calling me to or stepping into what God says don't do because in the moment... 
I am prioritizing my pleasure, my comfort, my convenience, my safety above the will of God. Paul is saying to the Ephesian Christians, don't do that. That, when you do that, it will alienate you from the life of God. Number two, greed. What is greed? Greed is the opposite of contentment. Paul says, I have learned in all states wherewith to be content, and the Bible tells us to be content with our, uh, our basic needs met. We pray, uh, our Father, you know, give us today our bread for the next 10 years, right? It doesn't say that. It says, give us today our daily bread. If I have today I, and I have you, then I can, be, uh, I can be content and confident that you'll take care of me tomorrow just like you will today. But greed, sa- greed is this n- demand for more before I'm content, right? If I just had a little bit bigger, I had a little bit more, a little bit shinier, then, then I could be content. And what, what happens when we are driven by greed is we waste the life that God has given us. Think about that. When you're motivated by greed you, and you're chasing a little bit more, that takes time and energy and mental thought. That means it's going to accumulation of more rather than other good things that God would have for you, even potentially relationships, family, serving the church. And let me, can I just say that America (laughs) applauds greed, pushes greed. It's sort of the, it is absolutely the zeitgeist in our country that, you know, those who die with the most toys win. And so we have to, we have to, put off the old self. We have to don't walk uh, as you used to the way that the Americans do. We have to say no to that. And trust me, that that requires an intentionality. That requires a, a, a choice. That requires a thoughtful choice. A choice to look at your own life and the life around you and say, uh, how much of, of what I'm doing is, is being motivated, generated by greed? And then repent of that, right? And, and discard that. And finally is uh, impurity. And that's, that's definitely linked to um, the Old Testament sacrificial system. And in, in, uh, in Judaism, there were lots of things that could make you ritualistically impure. And then you were not able to go to the temple and make your sacrifices until that impurity had been dealt with. And so for us today, it's, it's participating in stuff in our society that is dishonorable. That will, in a sense, soil our souls. And one simple way to ask yourself, is this a dis, you know, will this, is this an impure practice? Is to ask, would, would I be, you know, I, would I be pushing play on this Netflix show if Jesus were sitting right beside me? Would I be going to the party? Would I be drinking this much? Would I be telling this joke? Right? And uh, if, if you would be uncomfortable uh, w- with participating in it, when, if Jesus were there, that's probably a good indication that uh, this is an, has an impurity associated with it. 
see how what what I want for myself and for all of us is to it, it's easy to blow past this and just say, oh, sensuality, greed, and all kinds of impurity. Yeah, the Ephesians. No, no, no. This is this is a real struggle for all of us today. It is without intentional effort. This will be the way we are living as Christians in America, and it will alienate us from the life of God. There's there's fellowship with the Lord to be lost and won here. Fourth statement. Living in America makes me susceptible to, number one, prioritizing my own pleasure above the will of God. Number two, participating in things of which God does not approve. And number three, constantly needing more to be content. So let's say this out loud as a a caution to us. Ready? Living in America makes me susceptible to prioritizing my own pleasure above the will of God, participating in things of which God does not approve, and constantly needing more to be content. Verse 20, but that is not the way you learned Christ. I love that. Paul is saying, I know that if you're a Christian in the Christian church, you are being taught to put off the old self and put on the new self. I know that you are being taught that the Christian life is more than just a ticket to heaven. It's a, it, it, it demands a fundamental change in the way you think and you behave and value and prioritize today. That is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. It's not you anymore. That was the pre-Christian you. And is corrupt through deceitful desires. Let me sit on that a little bit. You and I have desires that are lying to us. They are deceitful desires. They promise life. They deliver death. They promise abundance. They deliver poverty. They promise health. And they deliver heartache. We have these desires. They, it's the sin nature talking to us. Feeding us a line. Hey, I want you to do this. Look how, look how lovely that is. If, if you would just do this, you would be happy. This would satisfy you. This would bless you. This would give you that life you really want. And they are deceitful desires. They're lying to us. And so, and if we just follow those desires, it will harm us. It will harm us. And so we have to learn how to see past the deception and and realize what is the truth? Now, they corrupt. They are, are, the former way of life is being corrupted by these deceitful desires. Think about a corrupt judge. What is a corrupt judge? A judge is, is supposed to make it his or her highest goal to uh, enforce the law and justice. But then a corrupt judge has other priorities that are above the law, right? Usually it's to line the pocket with, with bribe money. And so it is a corruption, uh, uh, a distortion of what the real purpose was. 
So here's what Paul's saying. He's saying God created you for a purpose. And when you follow these sinful desires in your life, it corrupts you and you no longer fulfill the purpose for which God created you. And, and, and um, pagan people can go, get to a point where they're not even remotely fulfilling the purpose that God has for them. They've cut themselves off from the life of God. But Christ can recover this for us. So how do we how do we see through the deceptual the, the deceitful desires of the sin nature? Verse twenty three and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. We already talked about this, but it's you've got to you've got to bathe your mind in the word of God. You've got to renew your mind with the truth of God. And so now you know what the will of God is, right? All scriptures, God breathed, profitable for doctrine, correction, instruction, and righteousness, so the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you know the Bible backward and forward, you're going to, because you also have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will use the word of God that you have put in your heart to, to enlighten you as you go through life. The Spirit of God is going to bring scripture to mind and put things to connect the dots, and all of a sudden you will know what is the will of God. It's just the way it goes. You've got to know the Bible. It will bless you immeasurably as a Christian. Do not be an ignorant Christian. So you know the Bible. The Holy Spirit will then reveal to you. Uh, God, here's the will of God. And the deceitful desires, desire says, oh, no, 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 do this, right? So, so you know God says do A, and the deceitful desire is saying do B. If you do B, I promise you, you'll be happy. Lying is going to get you out of this. Manipulating is, is going to get that person to do what you really want them to do, right? Whatever it is, the deceitful desire is promising you abundance, but you know because your mind is bathed in the word of God, you know what the will of God is, and now you have a choice to make. Who am I going to believe? Who am I going to believe? And if we will say in those moments... Everything society tells me, every, every, all, my, all, all my past experience tells me to, you know, to, to side with sin's desire. But I'm going to, by faith, do it God's way this time. If you do it God's way, you will be blessed. And if you do it God's way over and over and over again, you start to clothe yourself in the new self. And you begin to fulfill that life purpose for which God created you. By the way, that is a fundamental aspect to growing in holiness and the process of sanctification and becoming like Christ. It doesn't happen easily. It happens choice after choice after choice after choice. Sometimes you have to wrestle yourself to the ground. And in and and just by faith, I refuse to give in to everything that my mind is telling me is the way to go because God says do it a different way. But, but as you do that over and over and over and over again, year after year after year, and I have never ever once after the fact thought, oh, I made a mistake doing it God's way. It becomes easier, becomes more habitual, and you begin to hang out wearing this. We used to wear that smelly, old, oversized 
self. And now we're in the super sleek Hotel Alyeska cell. And this becomes the way we live. Not 100% of the time. Sometimes I put that thing on and regret it, right? But this becomes more and more the way we're living. Verse 24, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit indwells you and God has recreated you. You have a new self. Now put it on and live out of it. And the new self is to create, created to be like God. God always intended for us who are created in his image to be like him in righteousness and holiness. Righteousness is just right living, doing what's right in the eyes of the Lord. And holiness is all about being set apart for the purposes of God. And so uh, the Christian who's living in the new self says, it's not about me. I don't sit on the throne of my life. I am the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you created me. I live and move and have my being in you. Apart from you, I can do nothing. The very breath that I take, it comes from your will. And so here I am. Use me as you want. I'm set apart for you. I'm set apart from sin in order to do what is right. And it's, what did Jesus say? It, you know, you want to save your life? then you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life, you'll save it. You lay your life down before the Lord. You, you give it over to him for his purposes. And now all of a sudden you're living the life you were always meant to live. And Jesus wasn't lying when he said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. That's how you get it. So let's say number six, affirmation number six out loud. The more I grow in righteousness and holiness, the more I will enjoy fellowship with God and fulfill my life's true purpose. Let's pray. Lord, we just continually thank you for your word, a light unto our feet, a lamp unto our path. And Lord, we, we are choosing to hide your word in our hearts so that we might not sin against you. And Lord, thank you that you have given us your word and your Holy Spirit and so that we can walk clothed in the new self, the life that you meant us to live. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.